0: Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. Shalom, listeners. Shalom, Rabbi. Shalom, Shalom, listeners. Welcome to you. How are are things in the, the, the good land Actually, nope. yesterday, mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if you read about, it, if you caught about it in the news. But yesterday, about uh, five minutes from my home here in Jerusalem, there was a terrorist attack. Did you read about
0: it? No. At the I...
1: remote, at the remote um, junction, there was a, a Palestinian terrorist on a bus who took out a screwdriver and stabbed someone. I believe it was the driver in the head. Oh my God! Oh. And uh, oh. you know, you know where
0: we're talking. You know where it is, John. I know exactly where it is. Yeah. And,
1: uh, I don't know everybody. He opened the doors. Everybody got off the bus, and there at the stop, apparently there was a civilian security guard who um, neutralized him. Didn't kill him. Neutralized him. Yeah. And yeah, this
0: kind of thing happens. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, in this country, this often. past this past week, uh, we had a similar incident where they completely. Uh, the outcome was weird. Uh, a guy opened up fire. He was he had, a, had a rifle in an apartment complex and uh they uh, the police showed up and they they uh neutralized him before he could do any more damage and uh then there was a demonstration for, uh against the police for saving people's lives and one woman who lived in the apartment she's a she was a uh, a single mom and uh one of the bullets came through her wall and she went out and confronted the demonstrators and said why are you out here defending this man who was killing people and and uh you know making all these noises against the police who saved our lives and mm-hmm. one idiot in the crowd said well you're alive aren't you <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that we're having oh to put my goodness. Up with this uh i don't want to start the show on a you know well sour- anyway there is
1: a very basic difference also in that in that the attacks perpetrated here like the one i'm describing are basically because we're jews Mm and so they're targeted yeah any any jew um anyway um i wanted to mention to you sam (laughs) i wanted to mention to you jim
0: okay
1: i wanted to mention sam to you jim yes uh tonight tonight is the 22nd of tammuz which is the anniversary of the passing of of our very dear friend sam peak
0: yeah you met Sam numerous, numerous times, right? Numerous sure. times over the years. Always, always right. bask in his, his lovely uh, positive uh, uh, state of mind, his positive energy. And he was such a sweetheart of a man. And- so I'd like to say a couple of, of words. First of all, I know a lot of our listeners,
1: especially those from the southwest of the United States, were, were students of, and friends of, of Sam's. And there's an idea that the, what's called the art site, which is actually Yiddish for the, for the anniversary of passing of the day of death, which is like I said tonight, the 22nd of, of Tammuz three years ago, there's an idea that the, that the anniversary of the passing of a person is a, is a special day because the neshama, the soul, goes higher every year, goes higher kind of like um, to its spiritual repository, to its mm-hmm. resting place, clinging to Hashem. Its power is, higher, is greater, it shines forth stronger, kind of like um, every year. And uh, that's a great merit. And that's, that's really the, the concept of the memory of a, of a righteous person being a blessing, you know. I just want to recount some thoughts and, and memories because uh, we had so many experiences together on our mutual journey in Hashem's world. And, um, and there is this idea, you know, by the way, the last week's uh, video, Jerusalem Lights video on Porsche Pinchas, I also made in, in his honor. This is an idea that when someone leaves the world, something of that person's soul always remains. And the good deeds of that person are a merit that continue to shine and have a positive influence on other people. And the thing about Sam Peak is that his whole life was like this tremendous acknowledgement of Hashem. And his whole life's work was helping people to connect to Hashem, and you know he he had so many students and he influenced so many people, and he had a saying that he was very fond of saying at every possible opportunity. One of the things that people will remember him by, these most famous for, is he always just say, "You've got to change your way of thinking," <laughs> and and on the basis of that idea, he changed the thinking of so many people. He he helped untold numbers of people to change the way they think about God and about everything important in this in this world. But truly, as a humble servant, he was very selfless. And he brought this tremendous uh, inspiration to so many people that had been stuck in what we could refer to as the mire of misinformation and ignorance and confusion. He had this tremendous conviction, and he spoke to people that had been taught to accept rather blindly a lot of things And not look for things deeper than a surface level, whether or not people are too comfortable or too frightened or to challenge, you know, kind of uh, the conventions of society. And in that regard, I consider him to have been a hero of biblical proportions, really, because he, look at his life, he actually was Jewish by birth, Mm -hmm. but was raised as a Christian, right? As a young person, and only found out really about his Judaism later in life, and only began to study later in life. But he studied with such zeal and enthusiasm that he soon became a master teacher of Torah. And he uh, he had tremendous scholarship and tremendous biblical expertise. It became like really le- legendary, in, especially in the Southwest uh, where he came from. He, and um, he just had this tremendous knowledge, uh, and he gave over a tremendous amount of wisdom in his classes, and he always delivered everything with love and warmth and genuine humility, never with judgments. And, and in that manner, he brought this knowledge of the one God of Israel and Torah to so many people that I think maybe, you know, you're, you, Jim, you're a student of Vendel. Yeah. and they, by the way, they were very good friends. They Sam were,
0: yeah, yeah, He used to speak uh, of. Uh, I mean, didn't he come from a family that some in, of them in were, fact, were ministers sa- or something? Sa- sa-
1: I believe. I, be- I be- Yes, yes, yes. His, his father was a pastor, and I believe that Wendel's, um I, I believe that Sam's uncle. Yeah, right. Who Luther. was an important uh, Who was an important educator in in the Christian world? I believe mm-hmm. he who again, he was actually Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. But right? He actually had a very positive influence on Vendel's understanding mm-hmm. right. of Torah and his attitude towards the Jewish people. So like in a, in a very roundabout way, like yeah. his, his family planted that seed within Vendel. but they, have, they both had something in common, Vendel and Sam, and that is that I think um, unprecedented in our generation, they inspired both non-Jews and Jews to come closer to Hashem and to, and to reinstate in their lives the validity and the centrality and the importance of, of Torah, which is a, an amazing thing. And, and Sam just exuded this tremendous love for Hashem and for Torah and really for all people.
0: Yeah. They, the humility of both of these gentlemen is, is I'm going to be a little bit uh, kind of pithy in a way that kind of down to earth, which, is, which was where a, a lot of their power came from, is that they had this very native kind of openly friendly west texas manner about them that just completely diffused any yes when you, when you, you would met ca- them. actually call it hokey yeah exactly <laughs> what, what they're they what we used to call hairy legged country boys <laughs> right in, in fact you know that sam had, in, in one incarnation
1: uh in, i'm saying in, in one job that he had he was actually a sheriff yeah. That sounds about right. Or a, sheriff, or a sheriff's <laughs> deputy, you know, and oh, the adventures that he had that he told me. And sure. he, he was, he was, we were, we were a pair mm-hmm. for many years. He was, he was such a beloved friend and you know that I cannot describe how many miles we drove through Texas and New Mexico together. He drove, mm-hmm. I was in the passenger seat yeah. countless occasions on the way to various venues where we would teach Torah together throughout towns and cities in in Texas and mostly in Texas and New Mexico and, and sometimes Arizona and other places, and um, those times that we drove were filled with many many adventures, which right. most of them will, will never be told because they're too sacred to me and they're too they're too deep in my heart to share. But the, and some of them are just too embarrassing things that oh. happened to us on the it was other your, road. It, it,
0: it was your version of the Frisco Kid. I was just gonna, so
1: that's the thing. He always said that. And I had no idea what he was talking about, right. but, uh, but our, our what I would call our combined persona on those road trips so much reminded him of Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford. And I don't want to say, why do I always have to be stuck as Gene Wilder? Why did he get to be Harrison Ford? But anyway, <laughs> so it reminded him so much of that, that he insisted that he get that movie and that we sit down and watch it together. Frisco Kid, right? Yeah. I can't believe it. I can't I can't tell you how many people have told me that I remind them of Gene Wilder, but I'll, I'll let that pass. I won't be okay. I'll be very complimented. Anyway, there were so many so many things that happened on these on these road trips. I'll just tell you about the time, you know, we were we were driving to Roswell. I forgot from where, and so um, Sam says, "Let's stop in the Carlsbad Caverns." <laughs> And visit the Carlsbad Cavern. And I had like a, in an hour and a half, I was supposed to be giving a very important class that was going to be attended by the media in uh, Roswell. So <laughs> he wants me to see the Carlsbad Caverns. I've been back since, you know, I've been back since, but I think this is the first time. So we get there and uh, we go
0: down, and the elevator's not working. Oh my, that's a nightmare. Okay, <laughs> oh, the elevator's not working. That. Yeah. So we
1: have to walk and you know, the path is very slick from the back uh, droppings, you know, I've, I've, very,
0: I've, very, I've, I've walked it. I've, I've been the there. second time I've, I've been, I've been yeah. there.
1: The railings were much more to my liking, but mm-hmm. that first time I was not so happy about, about the railings anyway. So there was no, elevator. So we had to walk back up. I just, all I'll tell you is that my legs were like spaghetti mm-hmm. and um, I had to, I had to get to this, this Torah class anyway, make a long story short, you know, He passed away um, three years ago, and it was the Torah portion of Pinchas. And I always say that, you know, only Hashem determines the exact moment when a person's going to return their soul to him. But we also believe that, you know, a person's person's, um, choices in this world and their personality and their ratzon, their will, also has a, a part to do with it because nothing is random. And so... I, I see a lot of Sam in Parsha Pinchas because Pinchas was a, what I would call a reluctant leader. You know, yeah. he was thrust into a, a place in a time when he had to take responsibility for his people because no one else could because, because Moshe was crying, you know, no one saw his leadership coming. He wasn't even born a priest. And he, a lot of people misunderstood him too. But what, what transpired was that Hashem himself ended up testifying that Pinchas was the only one who really understood at that time, what it means to stand up for the honor of God's name in this world, mm-hmm. and to stem the tide of desecration, and that's really what Sam was was doing. Yeah. So um, it was um, it was amazing being with him, and he he suffered a lot in the end of his life. He was very sick, and here again, you know what? I never saw someone accept Hashem's will with such tremendous. Um, Grace and love and all Hashem. He was, it was like a divine decree that he accepted because that's who he was, you know, despite his pain. And it was, it was just amazing. And, and I would call him like every day that, that summer. And he always would say to me, everything is good. It's all good. And it's going to be okay. That's what he always (laughs) would say, even when he could barely speak. So may his memory be for a blessing. He was a, a remarkable, unique, a wonderful Torah teacher who brought the many to righteousness, just like that verse in Daniel, and thus his, like we spoke about last week, his the light of his star will also shine forever. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful friend! I'm so thankful to Hashem that I was able to to meet him, to be alive at the same part, at the same time, and 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 have such a relationship based on based on love and compassion and love of the Torah.
0: Amen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So here we are in these three weeks, right? We just had the fast of the 17th of Tammuz that we observed this past Sunday. And everybody knows that these are the days that we focus extra hard, extra intensely on temple consciousness. And you know that I've just been speaking for so many years, you know, when I was associated with the Temple Institute about the concept of why the temple is so important and why it's so misunderstood and why it's even feared by so many people. And, and the whole misconception that people have of why we should be wanting to, to build it, you know? And I was always very fond of saying, you know, reminding people it's not about a building, right? It's about a, a, the concept. But I think on a deeper level, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm realizing is that the reason this is, and this is very deep, Jim. So like this is open up your heart in the deepest way. You know why people make the temple small and why they misunderstand it so much? It's because people have a misconception of God altogether.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And they and they make God so small, you know, they make God so small because, because the world suffers from a, a very pagan mindset of God. And even that's even rubbed off on, on a lot of good people. It's even rubbed off on Israel to some extent in the in the long and bitter. Yeah. And not so bitter exile experience. Me- meaning, again, so many times, like, look at look at Ve'etchanan, right? Let me read it to you. Ve'etchanan in Deuteronomy chapter 4. So we have this amazing uh, exhortation that Moshe tells us. He says, Hashem spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You were hearing the sound of words, but you were not seeing a likeness only a sound, right? And then it, as it as it continues here, he says, you shall greatly beware for your souls for you did not see any likeness on the day Hashem spoke to you in Chorev from the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make yourselves a carved image. It goes on and on. The idea being so many verses in Torah warn us against the apparently very human tendency of trying to put God into some sort of a of a form you know Mm -hmm. because it's just so much easier for a person who's very finite
0: to be able to deal with to quantify they they try to quantify the creator which is mind-boggling even even to try that as an exercise when when king yoshiahu he told the levites to take the aron, don't carry it around on your shoulders anymore and of course one of these things was to take it out of the temple the prophet had told them that you know babel was getting ready to to storm down and it was all because of the, the direction the country had gone. But it was also because the people of Israel had literally put in God into a, in a box. box. It's the same thing that happened at Sinai when 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 Moshe didn't come with back the calf. with the, with the it's calf. Just,
1: it's just this this addiction that people have for, for control and to be able to feel that they have their they have a perfect handle on everything. hmm. So again so this is this is i think where some of the misconception about the temple is coming from and and it's a smallness it's a small it's a smallness of attitude and again the Torah warning us about you know not seeing a likeness and and um, you know just to relate to some of the unbelievable feedback that we got from last week's show where we're talking kind of about the grandeur of the universe and about the expans- expansiveness of of creation right so uh, someone was commenting to me this week about a family issue some someone wrote a letter about an, an issue with a with a child and and the child and and this this grandmother basically a wonderful woman trying to express to her grandchild what hashem's will is because the child was acting in a way that this was clearly abhorrent to hashem's will and and the child's response was you know what I don't I don't believe in the the judeo-christian god does not exist right First of all that expression I also disagree with because I I just have to I want to be accurate and quote from this letter but I also don't believe in the judeo-christian god because I don't think that the god of the Jewish people is the same as the god of the Christian mindset at all that's no. another problem Yeah but the the point is this 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 person is saying this young man is saying I don't believe in in god right and I feel that, that people who say that, it's like, basically, they're looking for him. They can't see him, especially on their terms. They want to see him on their terms, right? But what's interesting to me is that, and, and this is a lot of it. A lot of it is because, you know, a person thinks, well, there can't be a God in the world if God is love, because this is not certainly love, what I'm seeing, and it's not how he's treating me, so I, don't, I choose not to believe in him, Right. But a lot of times I find that the same people who will express themselves this way, saying that they don't believe that God exists, but they do admit what they call the power of the universe. And people will say, it's very Hollywood, but people will say, well, I'm the universe is, is directing me, Right? Whether they say karma or, you know, like it's a message from the universe. The universe is smiling, right? So... I don't have any problem with that. I think they're really saying that they do believe in God because the, because the true Torah mindset of who Hashem is, is that he is the totality of reality, that he is the, the, the entity like Rambam says, he's, he is a being, right. But he is all of reality. And he, Encompasses all of reality and brings forth constantly at every moment. He empowers reality to exist. So it's like that's okay. That's okay for people to say like, oh, you know, like the universe is is willing something, right? But then to get religious and to put something in in a box, you know, that's that's the problem. Well, that well, that's precisely it because people don't understand that Hashem is so great that. The whole world is basically full of Hashem's glory, and he can't be limited, like Moshe was saying in Parshat Vikhan. He can't be limited to an image. We didn't see any image at, at the at the Sana Revelation. But, but we carry this forth into our lives all the time, expecting to be able to, to create a God that looks like us instead of realizing that God created us in His in His image, we try to recreate God within our comfort zone so that he basically is a reflection of us. And and there you have some of the fallacy of, of uh, church teachings.
0: Right. Well, and, and the, the fact that I've pointed out to uh, people in the past, uh, my kids, my friends, when we talk about this is the fact that that the best we have is that is when we, we reflect the, the creator it is that when uh you know, I think people forget. Yeah, we talk. It's easy because people say, "Oh, well, love is an aspect of God that that's how we're we're like God." But not only that, but where do people uh, derive some of their greatest joys? And that is from being, that is from being creative, from 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 getting up every day and doing something uh, active, and and building or uh, shaping or creating whatever realm they're in. Because because and I think that's I think that's what Hashem really is hoping that we will discover what he has created us to do, because the gift or the talent he's given us is where we're because, you know, you talk about the the active he's an Hashem is an active presence in the universe. No, there is no being like him because he is he didn't just go off and he didn't just put the world together and go off and sit and watch he's not sitting and watching the world go by he's there actively and it's constant me, it's again that's constant. the secret of
1: the of the four-letter name of you'd hey that's the secret right. is that it means that he is bringing creation into existence
0: yes constantly it's it's amazing he is a god of action and that's why that's why we're most like him when we act and act in a in a way in which is in accordance with uh the, the thing she teaches us in Torah. This
1: is like a some, the major principle of Torah for all people is yeah. to emulate Hashem. Yeah. A metio in Latin. The whole idea of just as he is merciful, we should be merciful. The, the idea of imitating Hashem is exactly what the the greatest service of God is. And again, the thing is, and I, I got onto this from the, from the, the idea of this being the, the time of intense, Temple consciousness, which every day should be, but we tend to focus more on during this special period of introspection and, and mourning for the destruction, hopefully to lead us to a desire to rebuild. But again, the, the idea is we have a tendency to departmentalize, capsulize, make everything so tiny because we, we feel like we're in greater control. But the thing is that the whole world is full of Hashem's glory, and, and this is one of the, what I was trying to communicate last week, why I find the science so inspiring. When you look at the deep field image from the hub, the web telescope, how could you deny a creator? How could you deny a creator? It's all, you know, the, Psalms 19.2 psalms 19 2 says the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament tells of his handiwork <laughs> that's exactly mm-hmm. what we're talking about but the secret of, of all of these verses to talk about how the world is full of hashem's glory like like isaiah 6:3, 6, 6 3 right isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 the whole world is filled with his glory it means that the universe itself declares hashem's honor and this is such a, a far cry from Again, this this idea of this very petty kind of small small, you know, idea that people have of, of of God and say, no, I don't believe that he exists. I can't relate to him, I don't like how he acts." And because they're thinking that this is some some being with a long robe and a, and a white beard that sits in, by, in some celestial desk and they're trying to relate to something in such a finite way. and what they don't understand is that, existence all of existence all of the universe is shouting out his presence and his honor because that is the substance of reality that hashem is the substance of reality and again when when a person can bow their head and recognize that there's a that the the universe is a force what they really mean is that there's a god in the world yeah
0: amen yeah and and you'll find you'll find that um you know one of one of my favorite uh, documentaries uh i think i've even mentioned it on the show before is uh, it's one produced and and actually hosted by ben stein who was a very funny guy and people probably remember him from ferris bueller's day off <laughs> he played a teacher but he's also pretty much of a financial whiz himself and he he uh, uh, he wanted to investigate the idea of uh the universe and how it reflects the handiwork of a being and he he talks to some of the most brilliant minds because the media and all their cohorts would have us believe that that anybody who believes in a creator is basically a neanderthal that we're right. some that feeble we're
1: some mi- minded, a feeble weak minded. person who has to invent this whole system because they don't right. have they don't have the strength to be able to stand up mm-hmm. to the, the harsh reality of what life really is. Yeah. And so therefore, they they have this religion where they invent this reward system and they try to tell themselves that everything is going to be OK. That's so hypocritical. Yeah. And so and so ignorance.
0: Yeah. And because you know, he, the
1: truth is that a person yeah. who believes in Hashem is willing to take on greater responsibility. To fix themselves and to fix the world whereas these people they're like whatever i feel like is fine because there's no god in the world it becomes like this
0: you know the the overwhelming number of nobel prize winners in the scientific uh, you know nobel prize in the sciences the overwhelming numbers of them are people who believe in a creator whether they're jews or or uh, otherwise And and it's the reason that I believe that they are is for the very thing that you just uh, mentioned a moment ago. They don't limit their thinking because they believe in a creator. They know that all things are possible, that anything is possible, and that that they are that they are open to, uh, you know, they don't have a they don't have this this Hellenistic worldview. They're not limited. They're not limited limited by this Greco-Roman.
1: Exactly. exactly. And, and honestly, it's it's a very big tikkun. It's like it's maybe the greatest challenge and test that a person ever has is to develop a personal relationship with with Hashem. You can't force a person to, to believe in Hashem. You can't force a person to, to, to uh, accept the idea. It's a very personal kind of thing. And there's all the beautiful texts and there's all the proofs, as it were, of the Torah. There's experience of Torah, but there is a personal kind of experiential relationship that is so vital for a person to have. And, and frankly, Jim, this is the whole mission statement of Jerusalem lights, which mm-hmm. is which is everything that we do, which is everything that my, my life is for, is the idea that a person has to have a, 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 a personal, intimate relationship with Hashem. That's part of the spiritual revolution that Hashem has in store for the time of redemption and the renewal of prophecy and the rebuilding of the temple it's about people uniting and and in their understanding and their joy and recognition of the fact that yes there is there really is a creator
0: yeah i was i was uh you you caught me trying to look something up i i was trying to remember the name of the of the documentary that i wanted to recommend to people if they could find it and i think it's um oh forgive me i i'm um um, it's, it's too early in the morning for me. Um, I think it's Expelled, I think is the name of it. And it's, he talks to some of the most brilliant people in the physical, in the physical sciences. And, and, and these are people that e- even their peers have to recognize that, that they, they almost don't have any peers, these men and women in, in, in physics. And that their, their own investigation into the sciences Elevated their their own thinking and and brought them brought them literally closer to her, to the Creator.
1: So two things. So I, I think that Hashem's imprint is, is everywhere to be seen on the universe, and at the same time, that understanding and and, and uh, acknowledgement um, and and realization leads a person to having a greater personal relationship. And if you don't mind taking a little ride with me for a minute. Speaking of riding through Texas and New Mexico with Sam a Blessed Memory. If you don't mind taking a little ride with me for a moment, Jim, I'll tell you where I want to go right now. If you open up your heart in the deepest way, because I have something to share that I think personally is, what, is the most exciting thing in the world that I've ever that I've ever had to say. I know maybe I tend to say that every week or every or every everything that I ever say. That's how I feel. I get very excited. I want to tell you something. In order for me to share this with you, I need to back up because uh, we'll start with um, Einstein's theory of general relativity, right? Mm-hmm. Einstein's theory of general re- relativity is actually about gravity, right? It's all yeah. about gravity because there was this basic idea about gravity that an invisible force attracts uh, um, an object, one, one to the other, right? And then, and then Einstein in his, in his um, general theory of relativity was talking about how actually um, gravity is caused by uh, curving or warping of space. Like uh, uh, the more massive an object, the more it warps the space around it. By the way, this theory of Einstein's uh, also makes, uh, makes wormholes possible, right? The whole concept of a wormhole, which is a shortcut in space time, which is popular in science fiction and movies um, they've never been seen but according to einstein's general theory of relativity they could exist but but anyway i just wanted to mention wormholes i also want to mention black holes which is some region of space-time where gravity is so strong that nothing not even particles such as light can escape from it here also the theory of general relativity predicts that there could be such a thing why am i talking about this i want to talk about about space-time, right? This is, a, this is a definition, this is a, a phrase that Einstein um, made famous. And again, these are all theories, you know, in the scientific world, all these things are all theories. They're still called theories. There are different ways that science approaches uh, how we view existence. And Einstein had this phrase, this which I'm very enamored of for a reason that I'm about to explain to you, the space-time continuum, right? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is this word, space-time, that, that Einstein uh, coins? It's a concept of, of, of time and three-dimensional space fused into a four-dimensional uh, continuum. In other words, he, he revolutionized the way that physicists see gravity because he said that instead of gravity being a force acting between objects, he said it's a, it's, the universe is, is a place in which uh, every object's mass causes a slight bending of, of space-time around it. And the movement of an object along the shortest distance in, in space-time is gravity. So he, ha- he has this idea about space-time. Ba- basically, he's saying that space and time, rather than separate and, uh, and unrelated phenomena, are actually interwoven into one single continuum, which he called Space time that spans multiple dimensions. Where am I going with this, Jim? Um, I'm going someplace that I that I like. I said to me is very very exciting. But bef- before that, I just I just want to say that this whole space time thing to me is exactly what we see in Torah. Yeah. Because because th- this this four dimensional continuum, right? The three three physical dimensions and time is actually a portrait of life mes- measured by sacred time observed in the holy temple right for for example leviticus 19 verse 30 that mentions the the reverence that one should have for the temple and for shabbat the the, the idea of the of the temple being in physical space what shabbat is in time meaning that and you, you know that this is definitely a, a, a linchpin of, of Kabbalistic teachings the concept of space, time, and life. In other words, there is such a thing as sacred space. There is such a thing as, as sacred time. And it all intersects, really, in the Beit HaMikdash, it all intersects in the Holy of Holies. But the reason that I, I'm spending these moments now talking about um, this, the theory of special relativity, and uh, which, by the way, Einstein published in 1905, and, um, and the whole concept of... Um, the space-time continuum is because what I really want to talk about with you is string theory. <laughs> What's string theory? Jim, what is string theory? So apparently there's this idea that, uh, goodness, how do I explain it? Um it's a, it, is a, it is a theory that tries to define a, the, the connection of things in the universe. In other words, one common, view to view, one common way to view the world is to interpret as four dimensional space, three, three spatial dimensions in the fourth dimension of time. And then beyond these three vis, uh, visible dimensions, some scientists theorize that there may be more and so the, there's this idea of, uh, of um, what they call string theory. Again, I'm not a physicist, but I find this extremely compelling. It's a theory apparently that's been in development for over 40 years. It's still not universally accepted uh, as, a, as a physical paradigm of the universe. But the, 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 in, a, in a nutshell, the idea is this theory is proponing that the universe is made of strings. What does that mean exactly? it's it's a broad subject and it basically attempts to address a number of very deep questions of fundamental physics and it's applied to all sorts of different things like the cosmology of the early universe, nuclear physics and all sorts of things because it's it's supposed to somehow, string theory is supposed to somehow provide a unified description of gravity and particle physics, right? And therefore, by the way, Jim, String theory is a candidate for what's called the theory of everything. Right. What I find that expression so compelling. But science is looking for a self-contained mathematical model that would describe all the fundamental forces and forms of matter. And so one th- so-called theory of everything, a final theory, an ultimate theory, what's sometimes referred to as an, the M theory, a master theory, is this hypothetical Sing single single all-encompassing coherent theoretical framework of physics and um, and it's called string theory. but this is what I was leading up to, which I found so amazing. Oh my goodness, the theoretical framework, again, I'm not anything near. It's ridiculous to say I'm not an expert, everybody knows that i'm just I'm just learning about these things that I think are so amazing when we see the parallels to, this, to, the, to the insights of our sages and the depth of, of Torah knowledge, Jim, theoretical framework of st- super string theory posits that the universe exists in 10 different dimensions. When I learned that, I was just b- knocked breathless, the theoretical framework of superstring theory posits that the universe exists in 10 different dimensions. Why do I find that so compelling? Because you know that there are 10 emanations right. yeah. of, di- of divine um, influence throughout the cosmos that are called the 10 spherotes, which is a system of how Hashem's light as it were, filters through creation in order for creation to be able to handle it and also to emulate Him. First of all, as our sages say, the world was created through ten utterances. Yes, the ten utterances of the of the Genesis narrative, including the word Breshit, and that parallels the Ten Commandments, which is like the which is like the um, the outline of the whole Torah. But the whole the whole idea of science making a statement that there is a theoretical framework of superstring theory, which is, again, a candidate for this way of somehow explaining everything, all of existence, right? And it consists of of a vision of the universe existing simultaneously in 10 different dimensions. Well, that is exactly what the holiest sages of Israel teach. But it gets better. It gets better, Jim. And this is what, what I just, I can't believe that someone could Read these things, hear these things, and then not plug it into Torah and say, oh, there really is a God in the world that science is beginning to take a peek at his handiwork and the imprint that he makes on his creation, because there's super string theory, which is the idea of the universe existing in 10 different, different dimensions. But then there's basonic string theory, which is the original string theory, which posits space-time
0: of 26 dimensions wow there's that number there well there's another number to to, to reckon with Twenty twenty six 26 is
1: yud and hey and, and vav and hey right. the name hashem the name which our mm-hmm. sages tell us the the secret of the name the very power mm-hmm. of the name is that it is the it is the source of the renewal of creation at every moment right right in other words what Kabbalah really teaches is that the name of Hashem that we pronounce reverentially as, as Hashem when we're not in prayer or study and when, when it's pronounced as Ado, you know, mm-hmm. and it's written Yud and Hey and Vav and He, actually that the, the, the deepest intention of that name when we mention it in prayer is that Hashem is constantly bringing forth and renewing completely the entire, the entire creation of everything at, at this moment, at every moment. That's a sonic string theory saying that space-time, and again, space-time in my understanding of Torah is it's everything that we have. It's the three dimensions and the dimension of, of time intersecting like, mm-hmm. like what, Jim? Like a hologram, because a right. hologram is, is created by intersecting beams at once, right? That that exists in 26 dimensions, meaning meaning what? Meaning that all of creation according to bisonic original strength there exists in the name of hashem right yeah. which and, twi- which and is, for those which who the gematria of 26
0: yeah. i was going to say the, the the numerical value when you combine those four letters you get 26 which is what for people who've never encountered you know that number and and what the impact of its name and the um, the, the you know i was mentioning before we be, began the podcast of you know, a, a book by a gentleman I met in Jerusalem in a, a few years ago, and uh, he's uh, uh, Dr. David Medved. He was a physicist who became more like a Baal Shuvah when he moved back to Israel, and he wrote a book about physics and, and the Torah, and he basically covers things like you just mentioned, you know, how does, how does the Torah began, and, you know, and God said, and he, he, and physicists talk about, this is amazing, you know, God spoke. Well, physicists have, have, have told us that sound has, the, has a creative aspect to it. Sound can actually shape the physical world. So this is a thing, again, that the sages tell us, that, that, that these words that Hashem spoke are actively resonating or actively being spoken by Hashem eternally and constantly every day and it's in the scientific realm they address it in this way but you know every time i hear about when physics gets into for instance you know uh einstein looked for the the unified field theory like that's one of the things that they i believe if i'm not mistaken that's what he was looking for was the theory of everything and i don't see how a torah believer can't hear those words and believe that that what they're really talking about is Hashem. Hashem exactly. is this is
1: exactly what I'm trying to say. Is Instead the, of paganizing some Judeo Christian God according to some Greco-Roman invention that makes a person feel you know comfortable, the idea is everything that we're observing in the universe is the imprint of Hashem's presence, mm-hmm. but it's so great. It's endless. It's endless. That's exactly why why Kabbalah refers to Hashem as Ein Sof. Yeah, that He has no end. Yeah. So he. So here we're we're saying that you know this string theory, which by the way, it's it's not universally accepted yet. It's not as a physical paradigm, but it, but it, there seems to be some evidence that the scientists say that the universe is made of these strings. Well, what does this mean exactly? I want to get to that. But again, just to repeat this for a minute, because to me it is the most incredibly compelling statement that theoretical framework of super string theory posits that the universe exists in 10 different dimensions. Well, the sonic string theory, which is the original string theory posits space time of 26 dimensions. There we have the 10 spheroes, the 10 emanations. I know many of our listeners are familiar with this, at least from the days of the counting of the Omer, where we talking where we talk all the time about making our own rectification within our own attributes that that are, are in Emulation of the seven attributes of Hashem's the emotive attributes, because on top of that, there are the three intellect attributes, totaling the, the ten sphera attributes. All of this is a reflection of Deuteronomy 435. Again, you have been shown in order to know that Hashem, he is God. There is none beside him, is the way that verse is usually translated. Ain Od Milvado, Deuteronomy 435 is usually translated as. He is the God. There is none beside Him. But no, "Ein od milvado" it really should be translated as "There is nothing beside Him. There is nothing beside Him." So, th- this is so amazing. This whole brilliant, controversial, unproven uh, theory of of string th- uh, string theory, because basically what it's what it's what it's, it's based on is the, this concept that um all the different forces and particles and interactions and manifestations of reality are tied together in part of the same framework and what they're looking about what, for when they're talking about finding a unified theory a, the the m theory the you know the theory of everything right is basically what is the secret of the universe what is the secret of the secret of the universe what what is the m theory right And um, basically the idea of string theory for a layman like myself is that the world is made up of incredibly small strings vibrating in a 10-dimensional space-time, right? I find this also amazing because um, frankly, Psalms 19 for the conductor, a song of David, right? So it begins, the heavens recite the glory of God and the sky tells of the work of his hands. Day to day utters speech and night to night tells knowledge. There is neither speech nor words. Their voice is not heard. And then verse five of Psalms 19 says, kavam their line, their line, or literally their strings, Mm-hmm. go forth throughout the earth and their words are at the end of the world for the sun he made a tent therein so this verse mentions something very cryptic about the lines of, of the sky and of day and night going out all throughout the world so what what exactly is this is this referring to So the idea basically to me is that what all of this shows us is that this is how I like to put it, Jim. The universe is saying Shema. (laughs) Shema Yisrael, Deuteronomy 6, is the hallmark of our faith, no matter what, that Hashem is absolute unity, absolutely one. All of these amazing discoveries, theories, insights, you know, uh, ideas that that develop within the, the consciousness of, of, of scientists who probe further and further into the origins of the universe, <clears throat> they're all basically showing that the universe itself is a testimony to the oneness of Hashem, that the universe is a reflection of the creator in every way, whether it's whether it's through, through the depth of understanding of these concepts of, of how creation could, be, could even be here, how it could be existing, how, how space-time could be, could be you know, the place of our reality and, and the nature of gravity. All of this is pointing to one God who brought forth everything into existence.
0: There's a wonderful book that I would like to recommend to uh, our listeners who enjoy this podcast. And I've had it in my library for years, and I've always enjoyed it. And it is by a, a rabbi, David Brown. It's called The Mysteries of Creation. And he shows how the, the sages, the, the, the chazal, the, through, the, through the centuries, by looking into the Torah, they have understood many of these concepts. The Maharal of, pra- of Prague is talking, mm-hmm. talked about some of these very, and he's not that far back you know, he he spoke of things like the creation of light and darkness. And now even he anticipated some of Einstein's own theories by by, you know, years and even even shows that science uh, actually speaks of the creation of light and dark as to as some people think that that when Hashem created light, that darkness was was an immediate reaction to it but no hashem and the sages talk about these are two actual separate types of creation and these were later anticipated by by the the, the realm of physics
1: and and one of the things that we haven't begun to discuss yet which is very much occupies uh, this this whole um uh, study of physics is the whole concept of dark matter of anti exactly
0: yeah, of, yeah. Bla-
1: of a black hole, which is created when it, when a star implodes on itself, and that that whole idea, which again is is actually theory,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: has you know hasn't been proven exactly how it happens. But this is exactly a, a depiction of of darkness, as it were, as being a separate entity, not the absence of light,
0: exactly, but an actual entity. Uh huh. Exactly. That and that's this this again is something that that I think is is pe- people fall prey to. A, a hellenized concept of war of of the world and of, of creation in that um almost as if god had no control over it like well you know you create light and you your the absence of it's going to be no it couldn't have this is something that is i think we already learned regarding the plague of, of
1: darkness in egypt that it wasn't yes. the absence of light that it was an actual tangible physical you could, reality it, you could
0: feel it it, you could
1: feel it it was heavy it was heavy yeah. on the person who happened to be sitting down couldn't get up because the mm-hmm. darkness was like a like a wet blanket
0: yeah there, there is something else and, and maybe you know it, we're almost uh anticipating a conversation we could pick up again when we get into genesis again but you know there's a, there's this wonderful idea that after the big bang there was a kind of a the, it's, physicists even call it a, a, a cosmic soup it was kind of a liquid concoction, if you will, of all of the elements, and that right. is that is referenced in the creation of the waters, exactly of, of exactly. the heavens, and that was this this all these elements that existed for for a few seconds, by the way, in a liquid form. Oh my
1: goodness, I can't believe what you're saying. So, so you're amazing. So, first of all, as far as the soup is concerned. The Holy Or HaChayim, Rabbi Chaim ben Atar, whose yard site, by the way, was just mm-hmm. now on the 15th of Tammuz, right? He explains he explains the following conundrum. It's really interesting. Because the sages say that the world was created through 10 utterances, like, "And wow. HaShem let there be light, And HaShem "Let there be the firmament. But the thing is that when you count them, there's only nine.
0: Mm-hmm. But you can't so see he the, explain,
1: he, he, So he okay. explains the deepest, the deepest, most beautiful secret in the world to open up your heart in the deepest way. He explains that the word Bereshit is the first utterance itself. Ah. And the way that it worked is that with that one single utterance, you you spoke about the primordial soup. Mm-hmm. He says with that one single utterance, all of creation came into being at once. Right. Like a primordial soup. And that the other nine utterances were the departmentalization of creation, meaning this is the place of light, this is the time of light, this is the place of the shore, this is the mm-hmm. place of the sea. And it was just basically an organization, the other nine utterances, of what Hashem instantaneously brought into existence. And this, again, is, a, is so much along the lines of what science feels really happened with the big bang. But then you just said something else, which just absolutely knocked me out of my chair completely. Cause you mentioned the first few seconds, right? Mm-hmm. If you really want to go there, because <laughs> again, this is, this is so unbelievable. It's so unbelievable because Jim, what have we said so far? We're saying that the greatest minds ever, these, these unbelievable ph- physicists, God bless them. These unbelievably brilliant minds have somehow come to this conclusion in theory that somehow the reality in which we function, which Einstein refers to as the space-time continuum, and again, I love that expression because I see it in Torah. I see Torah as being an intersect, that we are at an intersect, at an intersect of sacred time and sacred space. But these physicists are saying that this space-time continuum is, exists in a reality that is either measured by 10 or by 26 Dimensions, yeah. oh, which is okay. all a godly expression. The ten emanations of Hashem's light is a f- is a foundational teaching in Jewish mysticism, right? Mm-hmm. As it were, I, I hate to use that expression, but as in the deeper deeper understanding of the truth of Torah, right? And twenty six is the numerical value of the name of mm-hmm. Hashem, which is that which is a name that is synonymous with the constant renewal of creation at, at every moment. But what yeah. you just said that 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 I'm so excited about is you mentioned the first few seconds, right? So again, as I'm delving into this subject that I just find so compelling, right? I feel like I'm, I'm having a second childhood since I saw the pictures <laughs> of James, James Webb because I always yeah. was so interested in astronomy as a child, right? And I feel so tremendously inspired. I don't know if I can start learning these things to become a nuclear physicist at my age now, but the point is, Jim... And I know that the, probably some of our listeners are very learned in these things, so I apologize for, for even referring to them in a, a dilettante manner because I'm, I'm just trying to learn. But Jim, when they talk about what they call the cosmology of the universe, which is the whole concept of the history of, of, uh, of, of the universe, you know, I won't use the word creation, they don't wanna use that word, right? The cosmology of the universe. So there was an event that took place within a fractional time of of seconds that I don't know if you can if it can be measured it's it reminds me of Billim's you know moment because I saw the definition you know of of how the second these seconds are measured but I can't pronounce it it's so infinitesimal and within these first seconds of the of the Big Bang something took place which is referred to as the inflationary epoch yeah nothing to do with inflation of the President Biden or anything like that right. <laughs> Pardon me. Well, I have okay. to say something. You know. yeah. The Inflationary Epic, it's a, it's a catchy title. Inflationary Epic, it's called an epic, but it was only a matter of a second or something. It has to do with the fact that suddenly, at this very initial stage of, of uh, the formation of the universe, there was this tremendous expansion. Right, right. Which, which we, we we can understand as again this departmentalization as a, Hashem bringing forth everything all at once. is This tremendous expansion, and what was it followed by? What's referred to as a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we understand is the tzimtzum, which tzim tzim. literally means something. A vacuum. Expanding, right, yeah. the whole concept yeah. of of what the Holy re teaches us about how Hashem created a, a, a place within existence for the world to exist and yet and and yet which he is able to be in but yet because of the fact that he is limitless how could he be in the world if he has no no end right and he teaches about this doctrine in in the deepest secrets of the torah called the tzimtzum, which literally means a, a contraction right that as it were hashem vacated a certain space to some extent not totally in order to allow man to
0: have free will. will, yeah. Right? You know, Rabbi, so even though, yeah. so the
1: physicist, just this one sentence, so even yeah. though there's a physicist, the physicist said the universe is still expanding mm-hmm. and it's constantly expanding, but compared to the inflationary epoch, what followed is a vacuum, which is exactly the way that the holiest sages of Kabbalah explain the nature of our reality that enables us to have free will.
0: Exactly. And you know, you so, so
1: I I find this just so incredible this this incredible synchronicity between this, this these revelations of of science
0: and the deepest secrets of Torah. Yeah. Well, everything that you have said up until now, everything you said, and you 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 really sort of inserted the key to all of this when you said when you talked about the interface. Everything you've said is the reason that we need to rebuild the temple. Oh
1: my goodness! That's exactly where I wanted to go. You are so amazing, Jim. Well, thank you, Jim, You're just you're just you're better than my that's mom. Exactly, it. you know <laughs> that 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 it it's a, it's like it is like I couldn't have put it better. It's the interface, and this is why the temple is so misunderstood. Because if, when people are thinking about it as a, as a, as a place of ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a very derogatory, ignorant and arrogant way of referring to it. When people refer to it as a building, when people refer to it as, oh, we have to, we have to do this genuflecting of it. No, that's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about it as, as being a portal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: an interface, or again, uh, and we haven't even really gone into this on this broadcast at all, because we were, I was very focused on the, these particular principles that I wanted to talk about in science. But again, getting back to the holographic universe, yeah, and that whole compelling idea uh, in science of this universe being a sort of holograph and how that is reflected in the in the in the reality of the workings of the human brain, right? And how yeah. it's and how and how it's understood now that our memories are not even in our brain. They are offline lo- they are offshore. They are in a cloud. In the, in the cloud, yeah. They are in the cloud. And and this whole idea. So so here the thing is that a hologram is again created by the by the by the, 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 the um the colliding, as it were, of 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 two beams. Yeah, of just dis- very the temple. The light. temple on that place that Hashem chose, of the holiest spot on earth, the center of creation, is receiving Hashem's light and mm-hmm. sending it out all over the world.
0: Yeah, that's, that's why, the whole idea. Yeah, that's why the windows on on the the temple exactly, were, were exactly, pointed so oh like a goodness, yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's so amazing. That's why that we we always remember that verse in Kings that tells us that the windows in the temple were shkufim, which means that they were unlike any other window whose task is to illuminate the inside by bringing light in from outside. They they were funnel shaped. Mm-hmm. The the wide the wide side of the window was 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 uh, outside, and the narrow was inside because they were designed to allow the light coming from inside the temple to go out into the world. Exactly, and this explains why so, why, why something that's very misunderstood also in this week's Torah portion that will be read in the diaspora, Parshat Pinchas, we have the, a long listing of the offerings in the holy temple that are begins with the daily offering and. Shabbat and the Musaf additional offerings that are going to be brought in the temple, which are an indication of an extra level of holiness, the Musaf offerings. Why is it here? Why is it, why is it mentioned now to this generation that's about to go into the land of Israel? Again, the whole book of Deuteronomy that we're going to be reading very soon in two weeks is like the blinking of an eye because it was said just in the, in the, in the weeks and moments before before Moshe left the world, and it's his summary as he's about to prepare the people for going in. So we're on the verge of going into the land now, right? Why are those are those verses mentioned in Parshat Pinchas? Why are the offerings mentioned? It's because now that we have established who Pinchas is and what leadership this generation needs and what the priorities are, we we refocus on Israel's obligation to the world, because the offerings that are brought by Israel in the temple are a sort of cosmic refraction of mm-hmm. Hashem's light that 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 um, sets about a certain kind of balance for the whole world, a certain kind of harmony for the whole world, and and that's. That's the whole idea of that teaching that I know you're fond of mentioning from Bamid Rabba about how if the nations would have only understood how important right. the temple was for them, they would have surrounded it with, with fortresses so that it would not be destroyed because that's the secret of Israel's reciprocal relationship with the nations is that we are responsible for this universal understanding of mankind's subservience to Hashem and the unity of all mankind in Serving Hashem,
0: yeah, and and those those services are also it, 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 the the, uh, the the number of multi multi level teachings that just expand out from from the the daily services at in the Beit Hamikdash really are this amazing on one level audio visual le- lesson to creation about how creation works this is this is the real this is one of the this is the light of torah going forth to the nations is 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 that why why again you just referenced it why did what does hashem consider the temple mount holy and the the saying goes that the holiest spot in the world is is the land of israel the holiest city is is uh the holiest place is the temple mount the holiest place in the temple mount and within the temple is the holy of holies because at that particular spot just think about this the reason why it's even built there is because this is where creation began everything that we discussed this mechanism that we just discussed this expansion it happened right from we can point to it and go that's where it all began and this is the secret of, the, uh, I think, of the teaching
1: of our sages that before Hashem created the world, mm-hmm. okay, so now we're going way before the primordial soup. We're going yeah. way before the Big Bang. We're going to the place that we can't go to, as the Kabbalists say. We can't go there yeah. because we have no understanding of what came before Hashem created. What was, he, what was he doing and all those questions with? There was mm-hmm. no time. What, how, how was time measured and why at that moment, et cetera, et cetera? There's no answer to that. But the point is that the sages teach that before Hashem created the world, he thought about the holy temple. It was a primordial thought. And the plan, as it were, for the temple precedes creation. And in that context in light, I understand it as being this. Prism, this portal, this this well, fraction of, of Hashem's light. You said it best. You call it
0: an interface. Yes. It, it's where and, his and, and yeah.
1: And this is what's so frustrating about the great misunderstandings and the misconceptions of, and the limitations that people place on the temple because they don't understand what it's really all about. It's the, it's about the perfection of the world, it's about the perfection of humanity. And this is why you know I always have emphasized that. Without the temple in its state of destruction, our world view, our perception of reality is muted. It's like the lights have been shut off. It's like the colors are gone. Because the image that we have of, of reality is not real. Right. It's not that it, it's not that the temple is not real. It's like what we have now is is not real at all. And and again, there's a direct relationship between the misconception that people have about the temple to the general limitation that they put on god in their minds and that's again why i think that this subject that we've been dealing with the amazing revelations of of science the depths of the universe the the images that we've been able to see and then the correlation that we find which is not very hard to find between these most uh lofty theories and 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 the and the uh, positions that are considered by, by these great minds in terms of they're trying to understand the secrets of the universe and how it, they dovetail completely with the most ancient and deepest secrets of Torah, all carrying the imprint of the creator. That's why, to me, the most beautiful way of putting it, the universe is saying Shema.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. The Universe is declaring that there's only one God,
0: right? And the the ancients, even who who had access to a lot of this knowledge, understood the idea that that uh, the universe was was singing to us, for want of a better exactly. word. And, exactly. And, and people want to people want to look for world peace. It's a, it's a very simple thing. All we have to do is we have to we have to reacquaint the world with the fact that it it is created and that there is a creator, and that we will, if we begin to, as you've alluded to through this whole podcast, is if we can remember and dwell, this is what the temple will help us do. It's he, is the, us. Right. he is beckoning to us,
1: he is beckoning to us to to bind with him, to have a relationship, mm-hmm. and to emulate him, and this, again, this is the whole goal of Jerusalem Lights, yeah. and as, as Sam, a Sam, blessed memory, you know, tonight is again is the anniversary of his passing he used to say to everybody he used to say you've got to change your way of thinking get out of the pagan mindset and plug into the torah mindset then you'll understand you'll be able to hear these concepts that are that are so different than anything that you've been able able to learn before And, and again honestly to me this is jerusalem lights and and the beautiful people that we are communicating with and that we've met and that are part of, of our community and that are participating in the Zoom classes that are, it's part of a global spiritual revolution in really recognizing Hashem in our lives on a personal level.
0: Yeah, you, you know how I, I love film and, and I actually at one time was a film reviewer and we have an old joke uh, about film reviewing where the reviewer says, I spent two hours in a theater looking in the wrong direction I was looking at the movie. It was so bad. I was looking in the right. That's what the world, that's what Hashem is telling us in his Torah. And, and he's speaking to us and saying, you need to turn around and you need to look in the right direction. You need to look to see where your beginnings were. And if we remember that, if we'll turn back towards Hashem, we will save the world. Hashem has given us the tools. And they're all right there in the Torah. Yeah. Also,
1: when we look into ourselves, we try to emulate him more and yeah. become better people, which, by the way, is the whole topic of the wonderful class that we're having on alternate Tuesdays in Misileti Sharim in Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato's classic work, The Path of the Just, which is all about refining our attributes and clinging to Hashem as best as possible. And again, all of our listeners are invited to participate in our weekly Zoom classes by writing to Rabbi at RabbiRubishan.com for the Zoom login information. You can receive recordings of past classes. We're really having a blast. And um, it's just a a beautiful family that we have in Jerusalem lights. And I'm very thankful to Hashem for.
0: Yeah, amen. Yeah, and thank you for, for sharing about Sam today. That was that was lovely. I, I think it's wonderful to remember uh, Sam the, the way that you did today. I think one of the
1: most inspiring things about his life for a lot of our listeners is that he came to who he really was mm-hmm. so late in life, and yet he
0: he really became a master Torah teacher. Yeah, yeah, and he even talked he even t- talked about some of these same concepts. Uh, I, I know he loved uh, Kabbalah through Kabbalah which is based solely on Torah, there's a purity to it that that uh, people can access. But you need a teacher. You can't do it on your own. Exactly. So, amen. So may the memory of the righteous be for a
1: blessing. I mean, we all have a, a, a wonderful week here. Good news. And really, really focus on why we want to, real, to rebuild the Holy Temple, what it will bring to the world, how it will bring us closer to Hashem, how it will elevate the world, how it will unite all of man in the true recognition, true unity of serving Hashem together. Shalom, shalom.